As we come now before the Word of God, please turn in your Bibles, if you'd like to read with me, to the book of Exodus in chapter 3. We're here again in Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. And before we read, uh, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have made the very name of God known to us. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to make him known to us by your word and by your spirit. Lord, help us to know you. Help us to believe you. Help us to worship you with joy and reverence. We trust you, and we trust your help. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll finish out uh, Exodus chapter 3 this morning. Uh, we'll begin here at the tail end of where we ended last week in, in uh, verse 12 here through the end of the chapter. This is Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. He said, the he there is God, he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters." So you shall plunder the Egyptians. 
This is the word of God. Now, that's quite a lot for us to take in all at once. I want to focus then our attention on the question at the beginning, uh, which is in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? The question in there is, what is his name? Now, we might think that there's an easy answer to that. What is his name? Well, God, of course. His name is God. There we go. (laughs) Nice and tidy, sermon done. The answer, however, is a little more complex than that. In fact, it's quite a lot more complex than that. So I know this is exactly what you were hoping for on the morning of daylight savings time where you lost an hour of sleep. Oh boy, I I hope for a really complex text. Well, here we are. And uh, and so we're going to do our best here. I need you to put on your thinking cap. Uh, We will follow the spirit. It will be okay. But this matters. So we're going to work for this. Uh, We know that it can be a brain bender for little kids sometimes uh, when they realize that uh, their parents, uh, daddy or mommy, that that's not that person's name. Gasp. That that, that there's a moment that when the kids realize that they, they have a different name than what I tend to call them. And so for a small child, it takes some training and it takes some practice to figure out how, how all those different references for a particular person works. You know, I, I, Eliza, for a while, called Laura and I, hun, just because she heard us call each other uh, that. And, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that, with being called hun. It's, it can be confusing, okay? But kids can get there. Take some time and practice, but they can get there. They can understand this, and it's important that they do. That's true for us here, too. It's important that we understand this, so we're going to try to listen well with the Spirit's help. So there we go. Let's dive in. The question here is, what shall I tell them is his name? What is his name? The answer to that question, what the Lord says initially, are the famous words, I am who I am. In Hebrew, that's just three words. Eyeh, asher, eyeh. I am who I am. So, ayeh is similar to the English verb to be, which is why it's translated here, I am. But right off the bat, we bump into some complexity because Hebrew verbs function differently than English verbs do. So, the standard way to translate this is what we know as I am who I am. But there are other possible ways to translate this. You might even have a footnote in your Bible to this end. Some Bibles note this. Other possible renderings are I am who I am or I will be who I will be or I am what I am or I will cause to be what I cause to be. Okay. 
pun. You know, this already sounds a little confusing. The name is uh, tricky. It does help us that right after he says this, he clarifies, say to the people, I am. He shrinks it from the three words down to one. I am. Um, I tell them, I am has sent me to you. But then, if we notice, God's answer to the question of his name is not finished. He adds to the complexity as he goes on in verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. You'll notice in this verse, verse 15, we see the word, the Lord. If you're looking at your text, you'll see probably that that word is in all capital uh, letters. That this word Lord is God's reference to himself. We see this all over the Bible. We're familiar with it, Lord, in all capital letters. It seems as if this is God's name, the Lord. Okay? You still with me? That's where we're going to go now, the Lord. That's his name. Now... Let's unfold this. This word translated Lord in our Bibles in Hebrew is just four letters. Y-H-W-H. In fact, sometimes we call it the four letters, the tetragrammaton, which means the four letters, which I just think sounds really cool. Tetragrammaton, it sounds like a, you know, a Transformer movie or something. But here we are with the tetragrammaton, the four letters, Y-H-W-H, that's here translated Lord. Y-H-W-H is a playoff of the word ayeh. It's a playoff of the I am verb. So this here is the name of God, Y-H-W-H. It's likely pronounced as Yahweh, if you recognize that that this is the name of God, Yahweh. Some people uh, historically have pronounced it as Jehovah. That's probably not a correct pronunciation. We don't have time to get into that. That's another time, another place. Uh, But what we're told here is Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you. Now, if the Lord tells us that his name is Yahweh, why do we say or read the words Lord instead. The reason for this is because ancient Jews took God's commandments very seriously. There are tons of commandments, but even just within the Ten Commandments, the third of those commands is, you shall not take the name of the Lord, Yahweh, shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain. And so to try to avoid taking Yahweh's name in vain, ancient Jews just never even said the word Yahweh out loud at all. So even when they were reading the scriptures out loud, when they would run across this word, this name, Yahweh, they would substitute it with a different word. They would say instead the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord. So now we have inherited that practice in English. So most English Bibles, not all, uh, but uh, most translations now translate this name of God, Yahweh, as the Lord. 
And we put it in all caps to show that this is God's name. Now, just as an aside, I feel like I need to address this because this is important. This practice of translating God's name as the Lord is not wrong. It's a good thing to do, but it sometimes can be unfortunate because it can give us the wrong impression, especially because of the word the. To call God the anything, that doesn't sound like a name to me. It gives the impression that it's a title. So some people call me, some of you even call me pastor or the pastor, which is fine. That's great. It's better than a lot of names I've been called. Uh, But pastor is not my name. It's my title. So even some, some famous people that we know by, by a word that has a name that has the in it, like The Rock, or uh, The Notorious B.I.G., anyone? No? Uh, even those, that's not really their name. That's more a stage name. It's more of a, of a title. And God has lots of titles, lots of fitting titles. If we were to read through Genesis, you would see a bunch of them as you go. Uh, God is called in Hebrew El Roy in Genesis, or the God who sees me. He's called El Shaddai, or God Almighty. Or my personal favorite, he's called Pachad Yitzhak, the fear of Isaac. These are all titles for God, fitting titles for God. It's also fitting to call God Lord as a title. In fact, if we see in the Bible the lowercase word, capital L with lowercase o-r-d, that's a title. You can see it in chapter 4 of Exodus if you just look down a little bit. Verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, all caps, Moses said to Yahweh, O my Lord, in lowercase. There's Adonai, actually. He's calling God Lord. It's a reference to his title, calling God his master. So let me sum all this up. If I lost you, if you're feeling now that hour of sleep that you lost, Lord, or Yahweh, let's say, that, let's say it this way. Lord is God's title, but Yahweh is God's name. Lord is God's title, but Yahweh is God's name. So in a similar way to the way that Eliza might call me Daddy, and that's my title or role, she also needs to know, and it's important for her to know that I also have a name, that my name is Nathan. So also Moses could use various titles for God, you know, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Lord, all those could be titles, but it's also important to know that God has a name, which is Yahweh. Now, let's take it from here. Okay? If you're thinking about catching up on your sleep, get someone to poke you. Okay? We've made it through most of the tricky part. All right? We got it here. Why now is the name of God such a big deal? Why does this matter? What does it matter what we call him? Why, why does it matter if it's Yahweh or I am? What's going on with this? What does God mean when he gives us his name? What does he mean when he gives us his name? This is where we're heading in the rest of the sermon. I want to give us three things that God does not 
mean by this, and then one thing that he does mean. So three things he does not mean by his name, and one thing that he does. So here's the first thing that God is not doing when he tells us his name is Yahweh or I am. The first thing he is not doing is God is not asserting his existence. God is not asserting his existence. Here's what I'm after with this. God exists in and of himself. God has never been born, at least in a full sense. God has never been created. God has always been. He was and is and is to come. He lives forever and ever. God has no beginning. God has no end. All of this is true about God, but that's not what this means when God tells us his name is I am. I can see how some people might assume that because when we say I am, that sounds like a statement about God's being. I am. I exist. And many people throughout history have taken it in that direction. Some of the uh, church fathers uh, of the Christian church, um, Jerome, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, tons of others, they wrote pages and pages on these. I thought about reading you a section just to see how brain-melting it is, but just trust me, it's really heavy stuff about God's existence. And and, uh, even when you've had enough sleep, it's hard to process it. It is for me. So some have taken it in that direction, that God, I am, is about his existence. And then some philosophers in history kind of took that and ran with it. When they talk about God as being I am, that God is somehow an uncaused cause. Have you heard this before? That God is an uncaused cause. That's a particular philosophical argument. It, it goes like, the case goes like this. Take anything, anything, this pulpit, Okay, Do we know who made this pulpit? Anyone? Let's just make it up. Okay, We take a pulpit. Who or what made this thing, this pulpit? So let's say Jack. Jack made this pulpit. Who made Jack? Well, Jack's mom and dad made Jack. Who made Jack's mom and dad? Well, Jack's mom and mom and mom and dad. And then you could keep going further and further back. You could even say about the material itself. Who or what made the pulpit? What is it made of? Well, it's made of wood. Where did that wood come from? Well, it came from a particular tree. Where did that tree come from? Well, that tree came from a seed. Where did that seed come from? It came from the tree before it and the tree before it and tree before it. And we could go all the way further back, this long series of one causing another, causing another, causing another. And if you go far enough back, eventually you're going to bump into the first cause, the uncaused cause. And we call that causer God the I am, the one who always is, who has not been created. That's where philosophers have taken this, but if that sounds too brainy, we know even kids do this. Whether they mean to or not, kids are little philosophers. They want to know everything about the world, and so they often ask really good and hard questions like, who made God? Have you ever gotten this one? It's a good question. Who made God? complex in some ways, but it's simple in others. The correct answer is no one. 
No one made God. God has always been. And if they say, how does that work? We say, I don't know. Yahweh is I am. It has always been this way. God, this has been his name forever. All of this is good and true, and it's a common interpretation of this part of Exodus chapter 3, but I don't think this is what Moses means to tell us, at least here. God is not giving Moses on his way back to Egypt, let me give you a philosophical treatise about my existence. That's going to help you with the people. Oh, thank, thank you. Can I have some milk with it, please? You know, that's not mostly what it is about. It is about more than asserting his existence. There's the first thing. The second, this won't be quite as long. The second one, by sharing his name, God is not dismissing the question. He is not dismissing the question. If you look closely at what's happening here, you notice that Moses is not actually asking God his name himself. Moses is asking what he's going to tell the people when the people ask God's name. Moses doesn't say, what is your name? He says, what do I tell them when they ask your name? So some people have noticed, and I think they're probably right, that Moses is not really that interested in the answer to the question. He's just trying to use this question to weasel out of, getting, of doing what the Lord is asking him to do. It's a, it's a fancy way of it, trying to get off the hook, trying to excuse himself. So some have said here that when the Lord answers his question and just saying, I am, he's saying, what does it matter what you tell them? I am who I am. That that's the Lord's way of dismissing the question altogether. I suppose that's possible, but it doesn't look like that's what Moses or the Lord is telling Moses either. Whether Moses is genuinely asking this question or not, the Lord gives a genuine answer. He gives a real answer to the question, and he goes on for the next 10 verses or so to elaborate on that answer, to continue to engage with that answer. And then even in chapter 4, when Moses uh, uses more questions to try to continue to weasel out of his calling, the Lord continues to answer him there as well without dismissing it. God gives his name here, his real name. This is not just a way of brushing off the question. Here's the third and final thing that the Lord is not doing. By giving his name, the Lord is not passing a test. Some have said this, that this is some sort of test. The Lord is not passing a test. So when the people of Israel are going to ask Moses, what is his name? It's not just that they're checking Moses. That out of the pantheon of all the Egyptian gods, they're trying to check and see which one Moses is talking about. Moses has already told them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. The only God that you have ever known as a people, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that is the God that sends me to you. So this is not just a sort of password before the people will listen to him. Like, okay, before we... Before we see if you're legitimate, what's God's name? Yahweh. Okay, we're in. 
that's not a great test to, you know, to check if someone, if you're going, if you're willing to follow them. The Lord is not just trying to pass a test here. Now, if he is not doing all of those things, at least primarily, what is he doing then? If none of this is the meaning of the name Yahweh, what is the meaning? When the people are asking, what is his name? What do they want to know? The closest comparison I could come up with for this uh, comes from the Lord of the Rings. Any fans, books, movies? Lord of the Rings, if you don't know what they are, they're very long, epic uh, novels that have been turned into movies, The Hobbit and all of that. And you're just not a good preacher if you don't occasionally reference The Lord of the Rings. That's just the way it goes. Uh, But the world of The Lord of the Rings is a fantasy novel. It's all fiction. So there's all these different kind of fantastic things. But there's a race of creatures in The Lord of the Rings called the Ents. E-N-T-S. The Ents. They're the tree peoples. They're living, moving, uh, things that look and sort of are trees. So one of the Ents, when he's talking about another race of creatures, which most of the people call the Orcs, he starts describing the Ents' name for the Orcs. And let me read it. I had to write it down because it's way too much for me to remember. He says, the Orcs, or he's talking about the Orcs. He says, the evil-eyed, black-handed, bow-legged, flint-hearted, claw-fingered, foul-bellied, blood-thirsty and it just goes on on and on, trying to describe this group. This is not just a description of the orcs. This is their name for them. So if you know anything about German, which I don't know a lot, but if you do, it's famous for having some really long words because Germans tend to just string a whole bunch of descriptions together and mash them together as one long word that's the name for what they're talking about. Well, when the hobbits meet an, an ent for the first time, it's this, you know, 14-foot-tall, knobby, you know, creature, man-looking thing who's got a big twiggy beard, and he speaks real slow and, and deep. And they ask this ent his name. And the ent says, well, that's a complex question. He says, you can call me Treebeard as a shorthand, but this is what he actually tells them. I am not going to tell you my name, not yet at any rate. For one thing, it would take a long while. My name is growing all the time, and I've lived a very long, long time. So my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of the things they belong to in my language, in the old Entish, as you might say. It is a lovely language, but it takes a very long time to say anything in it because we do not say anything in it unless it is worth taking a long time to say and to listen to. Treebeard is getting at something really interesting here, at least in their language. He says, 
Real names tell the story of the things they belong to. Real names tell the story of the things they belong to. And that is what we are seeing in Yahweh, the name of God. I am, then, is not just a reference to his existence, not just a reference to the fact that he is, not just a reference so we'll know what to call him. I am is a reference to the story of who God is. So when the people are asking for God's name, they want to know who the God of their fathers really is. Not what he's called, but what he's like. What is the God of our fathers like? And that's a good question, isn't it? Don't you want to know what our God is like? What is his name? Is he the evil-eyed, black-handed, bow-legged, flint-hearted, claw-fingered, whatever? Or is this God something else? So in the midst of all the political fighting... Don't you want to know what God is like? In the midst of the, you know, coronavirus discussions as parts of the world are shutting down entire cities, don't you want to know what God is like? And even for your own lives, when the days start to feel mundane, that there's just sun up, and sundown, and just some busyness in between. Don't you want to know what God is like? If you're having your best day ever, or your worst day ever, don't you want to know what God is like? When they ask my name, what shall I say to them? And the Lord's answer is mysterious in some way. I am who I am. I shall be known as this throughout all generations. But then he just goes on in the next few verses, the next ten verses, to expand on what his name is like. I am the God who has come to you. I am the God who has seen you and your affliction. I am the God who promises to save you. I am the God who will provide for you. I am the God who will stretch out my hand and strike down your oppressors. I am the God who will do wonders unlike anything you have ever seen. This is all woven into his name. His name, Yahweh, the Lord, is like Treebeard in the sense that it's a shorthand way of saying all that God is. I am. Hundreds of years after this with Moses, 
millennia, actually, when Jesus steps on the scene. He tells the people around them that what is true of Yahweh is also true of himself. And he ruffles all sorts of feathers when he says it. We heard it earlier in our service after, the, after our time of confession. You remember some of the Jews were scoffing at Jesus saying, how have you seen Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. And Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am And they got his message loud and clear. Jesus was claiming to be one with God, to be one with Yahweh. That's the reason why they tried to stone him right then and there. And eventually they would kill him on the cross for it. Jesus was really saying, if you know me, you know my father. This is the goal of our whole lives as Christians. We put our trust and faith in Jesus not only so that he will save us from sin, although he does save us from sin, praise God, but we put our faith in Jesus so that through Jesus he would bring us to know the Father, that we would know the name of our God. This is what we want. Uh, This will help us to understand God's purpose in our lives even in the very darkest days of Egypt. We know that while the Hebrews were enduring their Egyptian slavery, God could have, uh, just like the you know, toy claw machines outside of a Walmart, God could have just scooped in, picked them up, and dropped them into the prize machine of the promised land. He could have pulled them out of Egypt just like that, but he didn't. Because God's purpose was not just to save them. He would save them, but he wants something bigger out of them. This whole process of the Pharaoh and the sending of Moses and the plagues and the Red Sea and all of that is serving a greater purpose that God's name would be known. He says as much right in the middle of the thick of the plagues in plague number seven. This is where we'll end in chapter nine, uh, verse 13, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But, but... For this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That is what God is doing, that his name would be proclaimed. May it be so. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, uh, Yahweh, uh, who is a God like you? There is no other great I am. You are our strength and our song and our great salvation, and so we praise your name. Would you help us to desire to know you for all that you are? And Lord, would you bring us to know you and to proclaim your name 
in all the earth. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.